This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, John Roseman, renegade psychologist, author of parenting books, nationally syndicated newspaper columnists, and a world traveler, yes, mostly world traveler. In the course of taking my parenting ministry as far as Istanbul, Turkey, how about that? Yes, I actually spoke in Istanbul once. The show is all about parenting, as you may have already guessed, and my real qualifications are, by the way, that I've been married to the same woman. One has to say that these days to distinguish it from a cumulative total. For 48 years, we have two 40-something-year-old children, and we have seven grandchildren ranging in age from 9 to 21. And I've been doing this parenting thing since 1960. 1974, 1976, actually, when I took over as executive director of the Early Intervention Program at the Gaston Lincoln Mental Health Center in Gastonia, North Carolina, and quite by happenstance began writing a newspaper column, long story short, for my local newspaper, the Gastonia Gazette, where it still appears today. Thank you, Gastonia Gazette. And one thing led to another, and within a couple of years, the column was in uh, 500 papers around the country. And I just was told, by the way, pat myself on the back and all that, that my column is the longest-running syndicated column in America that has been written continuously by one author. So, in other words, Dear Abby has been appearing longer than my column, but Dear Abby, I think they're on their third Abby at this point in time. So anyway, it's nice that you joined the show, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to deal today, in the first part of the show anyway, with a question that I recently received from the mother of a 15-year-old child, daughter, and the mother says, our 15-year-old daughter has become, over the past year or so, quite a disruptive influence in our normally peaceful home. She was a gem until she entered high school when she almost overnight became disrespectful and combatively argumentative. If she disagrees with a decision we make, she will begin screaming at us, calling us names, and the like. Despite the fact that her face is in her smartphone almost constantly, her grades at the secular private school she attends are still good to excellent, and she's not, to our knowledge anyway, hanging with a bad peer group. We're at somewhat of a loss to figure this out. Do you ever recommend boarding school in situations of this sort? <laughs> we'll get around to that. Anyway, first of all, here, here's my answer to these folks. Um, first of all, what, what, what people need to understand, and it's one of many things that people need to understand when it comes to children, but what people need to understand, and especially 
people in the Christian community, or let me put it this way, people in the Christian community should understand this better than people who are outside the Christian community, because we Christians, we have a means of understanding that no matter how well you raise a child, the child is still capable of doing really bad things. That is because of sin. In the world today, and I'm afraid that most Christian parents, having just said what I said, and this is probably the most one of the most unfortunate things going in the Christian community, is instead of raising their children according to the word, W-O-R-D, they are instead raising their children according to the world, W-O-R-L-D. And so most Christian parents, as a consequence of the fact that they've been swept up in psychological parenting is what I call it, which the world practices, we should be practicing biblical parenting. We are not. I mean, there's a few of you, us, out there, but for the most part, I would say that 95% of Christian parents are practicing psychological parenting and 995 of secular parents are practicing psychological parenting. In other words, there's not really a significant difference. If it's statistically significant, it still isn't significant enough. Regardless of how well you raise a child because of sin and the fact that sin is distributed rather equally throughout the world, no amount of good parenting will prevent a child guarantee that a child will not do something disgusting, depraved, and despicable on any given day. So, the fact that this child raised in a good family by good people and has been a gem, according to her parents, up until this point in time, still, it doesn't surprise me that she has suddenly sort of ventured far afield off the beaten path or the path that her parents are trying to beat for her anyway. The principle here, folks, is that parenting does not produce the person. The person produces him or herself through acts of free will. So, this and and this concept is, is extremely uh, extremely important to understanding that children are completely one hundred percent responsible for their own behavior. Psychological parenting says that parenting produces the person. Parenting produces the person at any given point in the person's development. He or she is nothing more than the sum total of influences that have impinged upon her life to that point in time, and the primary influence, of course, is parenting. And so what that theory or idea, notion, effectively does is absolve the child of complete responsibility for his or her own behavior. So the first thing to keep in mind is, A, 
This child's behavior, as being described by this mother in this question that was sent to me over my website at parentguru.com, this question posed by this mother reflects the biblical principle of sin. The child is completely responsible for her own behavior. She is engaging in acts of free will. And so when the mother says we're at a loss to figure this out, she's at a loss because she's thinking psychologically. She's thinking, what worldly, secular, environmental factors in my daughter's life could have resulted, could be causing her to behave in this fashion? And my answer is she's behaving in this fashion because she's a sinful human being. It's not complex. Sometimes now, the sudden emergence of pronounced problems with a previously well-behaved teen are indicators of drug or alcohol use, the influence of undesirable peers, problems at school of one sort or another, or problems in the home. I'm not saying those things are causing the behaviors. I'm just saying those things are perhaps a catalyst to the behaviors. There's a correspondence, perhaps, between those things. We can prove problems in the home do not cause teenagers to behave disrespectfully, belligerently, combatively, argumentatively, because there are plenty of teenagers who live in problem homes who do not disrespect their parents, regardless of the fact that their parents' marriage has significant problems. They don't disrespect their parents. They don't argue combatively with their parents. So these things, my point is that even problems at home, with a peer group, et cetera, et cetera, they can be associated with problems, behavior problems of this sort, discipline problems of this sort. But let's be careful. They do not cause these problems. These problems are caused by acts of free will on the part of a child and therefore the child is, in fact, completely responsible. And sometimes, having named all of those potentially corresponding problems, none of those factors are in play. Sometimes there's just, you know, these behaviors just emerge out of nothingness, like the Big Bang, and they just are what they are. I will say this, that today's teens, and especially the female of the species, and I, I think that this has something to do with the uh, the unique makeup of females, seem drawn to the opportunity to create drama out of their lives. Today's teenage girls, it appears to me, are drama factories, and they seem to, the, furthermore, these teenagers, whether male or female, but mostly female in my estimation, appear to believe that uh, life has no meaning unless life is infused with uh, daily drama. The dramas in question run the gamut, but usually whirl around conflicts with peers if no other drama presents itself. In other words, if everything is hunky-dory in the child's life, socially and otherwise, then the default drama is the theme of it anyway, is my parents are like idiots and like don't understand me or my needs and I am like pitiful. Like. Pitiful. <laughs> I have to stress that uh, these 
dramas do not necessarily reflect any reality outside of some idiosyncratic reality that exists solely in the teen's smartphone-addled brain. And we'll be back in just a few moments with the rest of my response to this question. Stay tuned. Hope you're enjoying it so far. I am. Welcome to the second half of the show. I'm John Roseman, your host. The show is called Because I Said So. And if you want to find out more about me, my parenting ministry, which I take all over the country and speak all over the country in churches all over the country, you can go to John Rosemond, J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D.com or you can, for some information and um, a DVD set that I have recorded for them, go to the American Family Association website, afa.net, and you can find out more at afa.net about the aforementioned DVD series on uh, various parenting themes that I recorded for them a couple of years ago. So I'm talking on this program about, and what I'm doing here really is just using a question from the parents of a 15-year-old girl to talk about various parenting issues, child behavior issues, and the like. The 15-year-old girl in question was a, quote, gem, according to her mother, end quote, until she entered high school when she almost overnight became disrespectful and combatively argumentative. And now, today, if she disagrees with the decision the parents make, she begins screaming at them, calling them names, and so on and so forth. And the mother says, despite the fact that her face is in her smartphone almost constantly, her grades at the secular private school she attends are still good to excellent, and she's not to our knowledge, hanging with a bad peer group. So, we know then that the girl is not in any sort of crisis, that she is simply uh, full of herself, and to mix my metaphors, needs an altitude adjustment. So, to summarize, the points I've made thus far are, first of all, most Christian parents are not parenting according to the word, They are parenting according to the world, and that is why Christian parents are having the same problems that secular, atheist, humanistic parents are having. That is why parents who believe in God and creation and Jesus Christ are having the same problems that parents who believe in Darwin are having. And I I mean, this ought to really wake up people in the Christian community, folks. I mean... We are called to be witnesses for Christ, and that witness begins with how we live our lives. And as I said before, there, and I, I've been doing this uh, since 1976, this parenting stuff. I accepted Christ in the year 2000. 
uh, or Christ tapped me on the shoulder, Christ called me. I don't know how to put that because uh, I'm a Calvinist uh, on most days of the week, and then sometimes I'm not a Calvinist. I, I just I can't figure all that out. So I don't know how to talk about that, really. Maybe somebody out there can help me with this one of these days. And I know that, uh, by the way, a little a little uh, departure from the uh, the theme of the show here. I know that emotions run high concerning Calvinism and Arminianism for many people. Well, they don't run very high for me. I mean, I don't see this as a salvation issue, and I'm not as up in arms about it as some people tend to be, which I think is, by the way, very unfortunate. Anyway. I uh, accepted Christ, or he came into my life, something like that, in the year 2000. And I began becoming aware, slowly but surely, that Christian parents are having the same problems that people out there in the world are having. And this is, I mean, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves, that we're not willing to distinguish ourselves in culture as followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in something as fundamental as how we manage our families, how we live within our families. That is where it all begins, folks, right there. Our witness to the world begins with how we run our families. And the fact of the matter is that if we are not running our families any different than the way people in the secular world are running theirs, I mean, and the difference needs to be significant, not just we pray before bedtime, we pray over meals, and we go to church on Sunday. No, no, no. It needs to run a lot deeper than that. Then we are not being proper witnesses for Christ. It's just as simple as that. And if you want to argue with me, you can, but you'll be arguing with a brick wall because I am immovable on that subject. Point number two is that contrary to what psychological parenting holds, you can raise a child well and the child will turn out badly. You can raise a child badly and the child will turn out well. Parenting does not produce the person. That is a Freudian idea first proposed by Sigmund Freud, famous Austrian psychoanalyst, the so-called father of psychology. And it is, uh, Freud was an atheist, and therefore he didn't understand how human beings ticked at all. Because he was an atheist and because he therefore didn't believe in sin, he did not understand that human beings, we are sinful. We are sinful because of the fall And I will also tell you, parents out there, you are not your children's saviors. You can only do so much. Your job is to be the best parents you are capable of being, to be the most godly parents you are capable of being, to reflect Christ in your parenting. But you can do all of that and do it very, very well And it is possible for a child, even under those circumstances, to take a sharp left turn and go off the deep end and never come back. I know that's not a really, you know, touchy-feely thing to say, but then, you know, I just, I stopped being a touchy-feely guy a long time ago, and I'm having a whole lot more fun as a consequence. (laughs) 
So anyway, I said also that 15-year-old girls, young teenage girls, seem to be drama factories these days. They seem to believe, and they reflect this in their behavior, this constant drama in their lives, that life has no meaning unless it's infused with drama. And I said before we broke that I'm a stress that these dramas do not necessarily reflect any reality outside of some idiosyncratic reality that exists solely in the teen's smartphone-addled brain. Which leads me to a possible solution to this problem, which is to wit, take away the smartphone and get her a flip phone from a box store like Walmart, a phone that requires three minutes of concentration to send a five-word text, doesn't access the internet, and doesn't take photographs. And no, I'm not suggesting that The parents do this as punishment for their daughter's disrespect. I'm suggesting that this be their new and very enlightened child-rearing policy. And I am, by the way, recommending this to all of you in my audience. If your children have smartphones, take them away. Get a flip phone. There are, you can get money for your uh, kids' smartphones. Get some money from your, out of your kids' smartphones. Go out to dinner without your children and uh, get your children a flip phone that you have to, uh, you know, buy minutes for every so often. And uh, give it to your child when you want your child to have a phone. And if any of you out there in my listening audience do not do this within the next five days, you cannot come to my next birthday party, which is in November of this year. You know, about the cell phone thing, I mean, truly, it just... I got to tell you, it drives me nuts. It just absolutely drives me nuts. Uh, It it is mind-boggling to me how a rational, intelligent parent could see what the ownership of a cell phone does to a teenager and continue to allow the teenager to have a cell phone. First of all, the research is clear that the technology, the screen-based technology of a cell phone does something within the brain that addicts the child to the cell phone. This is why the child, during a conversation with you, will pull out his cell phone and begin looking at it while you're trying to have a conversation with them. They're addicts. Uh, This is as, well, not maybe as quite as physically debilitating, but all addictions are spiritually debilitating. Cell phones are an addiction to children. Therefore, children should not have cell phones. I've spoken of late to more than a few parents who have done exactly that. Without exception, In other words, they've taken their kids' smartphones and given them flip phones. And the kids go nuts for four or five days, and then they settle down. And uh, these parents, without exception, report that their children become more relaxed, respectful, obedient, sensitive to the needs of other family members, including younger siblings. Just the other day in um, St. Louis, Missouri, or right outside of St. Louis, sort of a suburb of St. Louis, A parent said, after having related to a group of 
shocked parents that she took away her teenage daughter's cell phone. She said, my daughter is fun to be around again. Some parents have even told me that their kids have testified to feeling generally better, less stressed, less prickly and the like. Well, sure. When you clean an addiction out of your body and your brain, you're going to feel a whole lot better. On the matter of boarding school, uh, I would try cleaning out the smartphone addiction first. I mean, I don't have any problem with boarding schools, and I think that uh, they are appropriate places for some people, but that would not be my solution to this problem necessarily. Take the smartphone away. Thanks for joining the show. I'm here every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central Time on American Family Radio. Have a great week.